Welcome to Tom SciCast, and I'm your host, Tom Kennedy. Now today, I want to talk about the vertebrate circulatory system. I know that doesn't sound very exciting to talk about a circulatory system, but it actually is. You see, vertebrates, they're an amazing lineage of animals. I mean, today there are like 65,000 species of vertebrates that include fish and reptiles and mammals and birds and amphibians. And they also include a bunch of extinct things like dinosaurs and pterosaurs, mosasaurs, ichthyosaurs, turtles. Yeah, vertebrates are pretty cool, right? Oh, and don't forget, they include sharks, skates, and rays as well. And, you know, about half of all vertebrates today are fish, and the other half are tetrapods. Tetrapods, of course, are animals with four limbs. So think amphibians, reptiles, birds, mammals. Those are the tetrapods. Now, vertebrates in general, I mean, they're the fastest, they're the largest, and they're the smartest animals on the planet. Uh Uh-oh, I started talking about smart and intelligent animals. Yeah, I'm not going to go down that road today, because it can get really tricky really fast. And we think we can understand intelligence, but not always. So, another podcast for another day. But by many measures of success vertebrates are incredibly successful. And it's always hard to pick the most successful lineage of animals. I mean, if you want to talk about diversity, of course, arthropods win there. I mean, there's more species of beetles than there are vertebrates. (laughs) I know that's just like one order of insects, right? And even the mollusks are more diverse than the vertebrates. There's about 100,000 species of mollusks in the world. And in some places, mollusks can be really abundant. But let's get back to vertebrates, because that's what we're really going to talk about today. You know, vertebrates are everywhere on this planet. You can go down to the deepest part of the ocean. I mean, I'm talking to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. You know what you're going to find? You'll find fish. You can go high up in the mountains. You'll find birds. And in fact, birds will fly over 20,000 feet high. You can go to every single continent on this planet. You know what you're going to find? A vertebrate. Oh yeah, even Antarctica has penguins. So, vertebrates are everywhere. And their range in size is enormous. There's a a race to find the smallest vertebrate, right? Is it a fish? Is it a little frog? Right now, there's this tiny little frog. It's about 7 millimeters in length. It is the smallest vertebrate. There's a fish It's like 7.7 millimeters in length. Yeah, these things are tiny. And then at the opposite end of that scale are the blue whales. I've seen one. They're enormous. They're 100 feet long. And they are the largest animal to have ever lived. I mean, they even beat out the dinosaurs. These mammals are just huge. Not only that, they're amongst the loudest animals on the planet too they can make sounds that are like almost 190 decibels. And supposedly, you can hear a whale sometimes a thousand miles away. That's underwater, you know, sound travels a lot better underwater. But let's talk about some other facts of the vertebrates. You know, they're really fast. In water, tuna and sailfish, they've been estimated to hit 50 miles per hour or even faster. You get on land, We all know about cheetahs. A cheetah can hit speeds of over 60 miles per hour. And then in the air, the peregrine falcon. 
It'll dive bomb birds at 200 miles per hour. Wow, that's amazing. And vertebrates also include the longest lived animals on the planet, like the Greenland shark might live up to 400 years. And also, vertebrates have evolved flight three times. We have pterosaurs, birds, and bats. And then in fact, tetrapods, the vertebrates that live on land, well, guess what? They've repeatedly returned to the ocean multiple times over the last 250 million years. I mean, we got ichthyosaurs, plesiosaurs, mosasaurs, marine sea turtles. We have the cetaceans. Even marine iguanas are out there. There's even sea snakes, sea otters. Also, vertebrates have evolved endothermy. Endo means within, therm means heat. So we generate our own body heat through metabolism. And the vertebrates have done this at least twice, the birds and the mammals. And this is important. This is really important because endothermy allows you to be active at any time of the day or night, regardless of the temperature outside. So vertebrates include some of the most active animals on the planet. And part of the reason why is our circulatory system. Of course, there are other reasons why the vertebrates have become so successful. I mean, of course, I've got to give my shout out to photosynthesis. Thank you for all the oxygen in the atmosphere. I'll give a shout out to endosymbiosis leading to the evolution of mitochondria and our ability to use all of that oxygen to make lots of ATP, which of course made multicellular life and active lifestyles possible. There are other things too. Uh, vertebrates have had rounds of duplication of our Hox genes. Hox genes, of course, are developmental and regulatory genes. The more of those you have, the more you can fine tune your body plan. We also have new types of RNA. You can really begin to fine tune gene regulation. Surrounding our nerve cells, or at least the axon of the nerve cell, we have these things called a myelin sheath, and that helps conduct a nerve faster down the axon, which allows us to respond more quickly if we're large. We have paired appendages. You know, we've got our arms and our legs, but you modify those into like bat wings, bird wings. They're really different, by the way. A whale fin, a fish fin. And then we also have jaws with teeth that have allowed us to exploit a lot of different resources. But there's also this one other adaptation that vertebrates have that's really important. Our, our circulatory system. I know I keep coming back to this, right? We have what is called a closed circulatory system. It makes a continuous loop. Arthropods and a lot of other invertebrates have an open circulatory system, and that actually limits the size that they can reach. Our closed circulatory system allows a, a muscular heart to move our blood through all parts of our body. And by having a closed circulatory system, not only can you move it more quickly, you can create higher blood pressure. Wait, did I just mention high blood pressure? Isn't that considered a problem? Well, it is in humans if we get our blood pressure too high. But higher blood pressure allows animals to become larger because you can now pump your blood more rapidly over longer distances. And that's one of the reasons why marine fish can grow so large. Now, sometime around 375 million years ago, way back in the Devonian of the Paleozoic era, a species of lobed fin fish began to live on land. It made the transition from 
an aquatic to a terrestrial environment. And of course, this brought on new challenges. And one of those challenges is our gravity. It always seems like gravity is pulling us down. Now, for those of you that are into the general theory of relativity, you know that gravity is not truly a force. I know, that's weird. We're actually just falling toward the Earth, but we're stopped by the land. But at any rate, I digress. Moving on to land, not only do you have to worry about drying out, but you've got to worry about gravity. Now, luckily, our closed circulatory system was already like a pre-adaptation for that. It's called an exaptation. Not that the fish living in the water goes, oh, I better have a closed circulatory system so we can evolve to live on land. It just happened to be good for moving on to land. Also, our muscular heart. Now, fish have a two-chambered heart. And in fact, there's this uh, two-chambered ale, and it's got a picture of a trout on it. And I think that's really cool because this beer realizes that fish have a two-chambered heart. They have an atrium and a ventricle. So in any heart, the atrium is going to receive blood from a vein, and then the ventricle is going to pump blood away from the heart in an artery. So veins and arteries, a vein carries blood to the heart, an artery carries blood away from the heart, and what connects the veins to the arteries are the capillaries. And the capillaries are found throughout the body, and they're like the interface between the circulatory system and your tissues and organs. So in our fish, they have their two-chambered heart, and what happens is the vein brings the blood into the atrium, and then it receives the blood, and then it moves into the ventricle. The ventricle contracts and moves the blood out of the heart into the artery. Now, in a fish, the artery will carry deoxygenated blood, this is blood without oxygen, through the gills, and once it reaches the gills, it's going to exchange gases. It's gonna unload carbon dioxide, and it's gonna bring in oxygen. So it's not until the blood actually crosses the gills that it becomes oxygenated, and then it's gonna go traveling throughout the body. And then once all the oxygen diffuses into the muscles, it becomes deoxygenated and is carried back to the atrium by the vein. And that's a single circulation of a fish. Now, moving on to land, there are some problems here. One of them is gravity. And the two-chambered heart just didn't work as well. And also, tetrapods have lungs. That's where we get all of our gas exchange. And moving on to land, we need higher blood pressure. Now, the problem that if I create high blood pressure out of my ventricle and pump it into the pulmonary route so that you can get oxygen from your lungs, if your blood pressure is too high, guess what? You'll blow out those capillaries in your lungs. And like I said, living on land, we need higher blood pressure. So, so as these lobed fin fish evolved to live on land, they evolved into tetrapods, the very first amphibians, about 375 million years ago, they evolved a three-chambered heart. This new heart has two atria and one large ventricle. So in amphibians, we have a pulmonary route and a systemic route. Of course, pulmonary route goes to the lungs and a systemic route goes to the rest of the body. Now with these first amphibians and even some modern reptiles with their three-chambered heart, you got the ventricle and it's got an artery coming out of it and that artery will split. And one split will go into the pulmonary route 
and the other split will go into the systemic route. And then in your atria, you've got two atria. One atria receives deoxygenated blood from the systemic route. That's a blood that doesn't have any oxygen that's coming back from the body. The other atria receives oxygenated blood. So it's got a vein coming in from the lungs. And then the blood coming in from the two atria, they both empty into the ventricle, one ventricle, and that ventricle once again pumps the blood out of the heart into a single artery that splits into the pulmonary route and the systemic route. One of the limitations of the three-chambered heart, especially the one in amphibians, is that you mix your oxygenated and deoxygenated blood in the ventricle. And that's because, remember, you've got two atria. One's receiving deoxygenated blood from the body. One's receiving oxygenated blood from the pulmonary route or the lungs, and you mix it in the ventricle. Okay, so you can see how that might be a little bit of a disadvantage. But hey, you know, this thing still works for these land animals. And you may have noticed there are no really super active amphibians. I know a frog can hop a couple times. They'll wear out very quickly. We don't see frogs running down their prey like a cheetah does. Now, a difference when we get to the amniotes. Amniotes are animals that include the mammals, the birds, and the reptiles. And actually, birds are reptiles. They came right off of the reptile lineage. And in fact, they most likely evolved from dinosaurs. A lot of reptiles, like the snakes and the lizards, these are the lepidosaurs, they have a three-chambered heart. But these snakes and lizards often have a septum that helps prevent the mixing of the oxygenated and deoxygenated blood in the ventricle. Now, when we get to birds and mammals, and birds, they actually belong to a much larger group of animals called the archosaurs, which include crocodiles and alligators, and also dinosaurs. This is kind of exciting because I'm going to come back to this point. But remember when I told you that endothermy evolved twice in the vertebrates, at least twice, mammals and birds, and these are two of the most active animals on the planet. And part of the reason why is they have a four-chambered heart, two atrias and two ventricles. And what this allows them to do is have something called double circulation. Now, double circulation I've got a pulmonary route, think your lungs, and I've got a systemic route, the rest of my body. And the problem here is we need high blood pressure. We need to be able to rapidly move our blood throughout our body. But if we make our blood pressure too high, we blow out the capillaries and our lungs. So now with birds and mammals, we've got this four-chambered heart. We can completely separate the pulmonary route from the systemic route. So so in birds and reptiles, we have a ventricle that specifically pumps deoxygenated blood to the lungs, the pulmonary route. And that blood is not under very high pressure. And then that oxygenated blood comes back in to the atria, goes into the other ventricle, the separated, right? And this ventricle will then pump the blood throughout the rest of the body. And that is under much higher pressure. Now, in a small bird, it's not going to be nearly as high a pressure as it would be in a giraffe. Giraffes have to have really high blood pressure. They've got huge ventricles to pump the blood from their heart all the way up to their heads. And like I said, without being able to separate the pulmonary route from the systemic route, they could never grow to be so large. And then, of course, because you've got this 
for a chambered heart, you completely separate your oxygenated and deoxygenated blood, right? So that's very efficient. And it's those changes in that circulatory system going from a two-chambered heart that we see in fish to the three-chambered heart that we see in amphibians to a three-chambered heart in a lot of reptiles that had the little septum to a fully functional four-chambered heart with double circulation. And that is the reason why mammals can grow so large. And that is the reason why both mammals and birds are incredibly active. They're efficient. Okay, I've got to talk about dinosaurs for a few minutes. I know, I like dinosaurs. They're really cool. Now, one of the problems about understanding what a dinosaur was really like is we only have fossils, almost only of their bones. We know very, very little about their soft tissue. So we don't have very many organs that have fossilized. I mean, we don't have a lung or we don't have a, a heart that's been fossilized in a dinosaur. Those soft tissues, they just don't fossilize very well. But we got lots of dinosaur bones. So this lack of fossilization of the soft tissue, that makes it hard to understand much about their physiology. And we've got these popular movies, the Jurassic Park movies. I remember the first time I saw one in 19, gosh, 92. I, was, I came out of the movie going, oh my gosh, I saw a dinosaur. But Michael Crichton had reviewed some of the recent literature on dinosaurs. And for a long time, you know, we knew they were reptiles and we were like, well, all modern reptiles are, are ectothermic. They don't generate their own body heat. They're probably big, slow, sluggish, and dumb. And of course, in the 1980s, there was some evidence coming out that maybe that wasn't the case with dinosaurs. Maybe they were more active than we had originally thought. And there's a debate going back and forth where dinosaurs endothermic, ectothermic, and what was their level of activity like? And one clue that would really help us to understand that is looking at their heart and lungs, which unfortunately we, we don't have that. But what we can do is we can look at birds. Birds are archosaurs, they evolve from dinosaurs. And we can compare what birds have in common with alligators and crocodiles. I know, it's hard to think of an alligator as more closely related to a bird than it is to a lizard. Really weird, I know. But there's this really cool feature in their skull called the mandibular fenestra that all archosaurs have in common. Mandibular, think of this jaw. Fenestra is like a window. They have these little tiny windows, openings in their jaw that's shared by all of these birds, dinosaurs, pterosaurs, and of course, alligators and crocodiles. But another thing that alligators share in common with birds, at least physiologically speaking, is they have roughly a four-chambered heart. So if birds and crocodiles both have a four-chambered heart, then we could reasonably assume that dinosaurs had a four-chambered heart as well. And the reason why is because all of these animals came from a common ancestor that likely had a four-chambered heart. So we don't have to assume that it evolved at multiple times over. And if we make the assumption that dinosaurs had a four-chambered heart, that would explain part of why they could grow so large. And it would also give good evidence that they were probably much more active than we thought. And it would also provide support that they were endothermic. And being endothermic, they'd be much more active all the time. Now, one other thing about dinosaurs, they probably weren't fully endothermic. They were just very big. So when they moved around, they would, of course, generate body heat through just muscle contractions, right? Just being active generates body heat. 
but they were so large that they would maintain that body heat inside of them. It's kind of like how a uh, leatherback sea turtle can be slightly endothermic. And of course, the most active animals on the planet, the birds and the mammals, well, they're endothermic and they have those four chambered hearts. Okay, well, this was a bit of a short podcast, but I hope you guys enjoyed it and have an appreciation now for how the circulatory system and vertebrates was really important for our evolution in terms of how successful we are as a group on this planet. So until next time, this has been another episode of Tom SciCast.